Good morning, Calvary. We're Joe and Allie Lemonager, and we are missionaries being sent out uh, to Germany. So let's read God's word. Our first passage comes from Genesis chapter 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram, Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The next passage we're going to read is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they, they worshipped him. So, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And our last passage is from Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Again, good morning. It's good to be gathered here together, and it is um, always a gift to have our missionaries here in town. Um, as many of you may know, for about three or four years, uh, my main role here at Calvary was our pastor for missions and outreach, and um, so much of the communication with the missionaries that are not local here, obviously, 
is Skype or FaceTime or email. And it was always so rewarding to kind of have them in town and have them here all together. And so it should be a really good week. I hope you guys can make it out on Wednesday on night for our dinner. It should be, it should be a great time. Sorry about that. Let me start out in prayer and uh, we'll get going. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thankful for your mercy and your grace. And so we confess to you right at the outset that without you, we have nothing. And we are all here this morning because of the true reality that you have pursued us with goodness and mercy. And so we are here collected to thank you for that. And also, Father, particularly in a unique way, through our focus on outreach and missions this month, we are here to, to also think and pray how we can creatively also be conduits of the mercy that we have received from you. And so give us a sense of unity and courage and peace and joy in that effort. We pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Memorial Church was started, as maybe some of you know, in 1915. And within about a year's time, uh, Calvary had already sent their first missionary. In 1915, within a year, we had already sent our first missionary, and then I think it was within the first five years we had sent five missionaries. And we, as a church, have been a missionary-sending church for over a hundred years. So the vision of God's love for all people of the earth was alive and active from the very beginning of our church. A genuine belief that for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Also, from the very beginning, this vision was not just for some other place. The vision for sharing God's love to all the peoples of the earth included, from the very beginning, our own community here, the surrounding communities, and to the ends of the earth. And we actually see this commitment at the celebration of the 25th anniversary of Calvary. There was a man by the name of Arthur Farden that wrote this hymn for that anniversary celebration. He said, make this people strong to serve thee. Keep us true to thy dear son. May the days that lie before us witness sin-defeated victories won. May this thy church press ever forward in the name of Jesus Christ, her Lord, upward, onward, with thy blessed gospel in our homeland and abroad. And so you see this unique commitment from the very inception of Calvary on through even 25 years in to have a genuine, vibrant ministry sharing the love of God locally and to the ends of the earth. And at that celebration service, there's a record being prayed. Let us remember with grateful hearts and unfeigned humility God's mighty work. 
I think this is humbling and encouraging to realize the responsibility and opportunity we have now from over a hundred years later to carry on this task that was brought to us from the very beginning of Calvary Memorial Church. But I also think there is a challenge in front of us in that. There is also a temptation, I think, to assume upon our history and maybe even our current giving patterns to missions that it, missions, really is actually a part of our core culture. Actually, history and money can provide a dangerous mirage of real engagement. Meaning, it is too easy, I think, for all of us to take pride in our institutional support of missionaries and our history of sending missionaries that we actually lose touch with our own personal engagement with sharing God's love and with our missionaries. I want to ask a question. How many of us can name five Calvary missionaries? How many of us can name 10 or 20 Calvary missionaries? You know, there actually is a danger in supporting missionaries. Danger of just continuing to give missionaries money, but not being connected to them or their work. Did you know that just about 29 cents to every dollar that you give to Calvary goes to support our outreach efforts. By financially supporting missionaries and outreach as a church, we can be tempted, since we give money, to personally disengage with a task that we all have to share God's love in this world. And the existence of missionaries should not enable us to assume the call to share God's love, by and large, is their responsibility alone. Vocational missionaries, I do think, have a unique, a unique role within the church to share God's love. But that calling to share God's love is all of ours together, collectively. And so this year, during our November, annual November focus on missions and outreach, we want to create, again, a path for all of us to meaningfully reconnect, meaningfully reconnect with our 100-year-old vision to share God's love. That's what we want to do over the next few weeks, is not to just take pride and celebrate that we send missionaries and give them money, but to reconnect all of us all of us, to this hundred-year-old vision that we all share in sharing God's love. And so let me share with you quickly what the aim of our sermons over the next four weeks will be. The goal of these next, the aim of this series is, again, to reconnect all of us to our hundred-year commitment as a church to share the hope of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so this morning, where we'll start Today is, is the core, the foundation, connecting to the God of missions. And then next week we have one of our 
missionaries in Thailand, Ryan Hanna, that were preaching on connecting to God's work in the global church. And Pastor Gerald will be preaching on connecting to God's work in our local church. And lastly, Pastor Manfred will finish the four-week series on connecting to God through prayer. So if we are going to reconnect to our 100-year-old commitment to local and global missions and outreach, to share God's love, we must start at the foundation. We must look at God and his mission. We will take our cues from God's intentions in the world and for the world. And so the aim of this particular sermon, what I would like to do this morning with my remaining time, is to connect for us the mission of God and the presence of God. These are the kind of questions we want to try to answer. What is God's mission in this world? Where is God's mission for the world headed? What will the final realization and fulfillment of God's mission look like? Does the mission of God come to an end? And why should we, why do we, put time, money, and energy into joining God's mission. So that's this morning. I'd like to look at reconnecting, or to connect, the God of missions to our everyday life. As we look to reconnect to the God of mission and try to understand what his mission in this world is, I would like to take you first to the final scene of the story of the Bible. That was read for us, Revelation 21. Before we go back to that text, you can turn there if you want, if you have your Bibles with you or use the Pew Bible, looking at Revelation 21. But before we do that, I want to make a caveat. It is crucial to understand that the 66 unique books of the Bible are parts of one cohesive, unified story. I have a quote from Daniel Fuller from his book, The Unity of the Bible. I read a number of years ago, and I went back and was looking at it. And he says this, From Genesis to Revelation, we feel that this book is in a real sense a unity. It is not a collection of fragments, but has, as we say, an organic character. It has one connected story to tell from beginning to end. We see something growing before our eyes. There's a plan, purpose, progress. The end folds back on the beginning, and when the whole is finished, we feel that here again, as in the primal creation, God has finished all his works. And behold, they are very good. So I'd like to share this morning is how we can see the unity of the Bible in and through the reality of God's mission to share his presence. There is an important link between the mission of God and the presence of God. So the rest of our time, we'll be looking at that connection between the presence of God and the mission of God. So let's start by looking at Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5 again. The questions to ask ourselves as we look at Revelation 21, 1 through 5 is, what is revealed to us about God's mission in the world from the final scene of Scripture? 
John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I'll stop there. What do we see about the mission of God from the final scene of Scripture? The goal of missions, where this all is heading, according to Revelation 21, is that God's home will finally be your home. Leviticus, this initial desire of God to share homes with us, is seen in Leviticus, actually, back in Leviticus 26. And it taught, in Leviticus 26, 11, 12, says, I will make my dwelling place among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. This image of God walking among us. If you live with people in a home, and just the normalness of your walking past each other, That is what the mission is all about. That we will be in a world in which God's home and our home are one. And he will walk among us as we share a home. We also see God himself will be with you as your God. It's important to emphasize here in the text, God himself God is not in charge and sending a subordinate to represent him. But the text says God himself will be with you. He is the one that will be your God and walk among you. This is where this entire enterprise, all the efforts that we make and all of our creative thinking we can to reach as many people we can is for this goal that as many people as possible can share a home with God. God will not send someone else in his place. He will be with you. The last thing we see revealed about the mission, the goal of the mission of God, is that God will touch your face. One of the most uncomfortable things can be when someone touches your face, right? Like, that's not what I want from pretty much any of you. I don't really want you to touch my face. Because it is such an intimate connection. It is so powerful that all that we're doing in missions, I mean, think about this. Think of all the money we put into missions, all the efforts we put into missions, is so that on one day, God can touch your face. And it won't be a slap. God will not slap you. God will not turn away from you and turn his face on you. Instead, he will be near to you and he will touch your face. And when he touches your face, he knows in anticipation, he knows the current pains 
and disappointments and traumas that we will be carrying with us to that day. When we enter once and for all into the home of God to be our home, he knows that ahead of time, he knows the pains and disappointments and traumas that we're carrying with us. And so he says, I will touch your face. When I touch your face, I will wipe those tears from your eyes. We will go into the new creation crying and weeping. We are not asked to be all perfect and cleaned up as we enter into the new creation. We are going into the new creation with all of our pain and struggles so that God can touch your face. It's okay, though, because he will touch your face at home, a place of safety. What do we learn about the mission of God from the final scene of Scripture? The mission of God in the world is completed in fully restored relationships between God and humanity. The goal of the mission of God is fully restored relationship with you. The song we just last sang, Naomi sang, says, I called, you answered. That's powerful just right there. That we call out to God and he answers. And he comes to our rescue. And it is just a simple song with a very simple expression of I want to be where you are. That is the goal. That is where missions is headed. That's why we go through everything we do to share the love of God with as many people as possible. In this text, we see God's commitment to be in relationship with you. He, you called and he answered. I've shared this a number of times in my preaching. My father died when I was, my earthly father died when I was 19. It does not matter how many times I call to him. He will not answer me. I can do it every morning, afternoon, and evening and call out to Robert Cummings and he will not answer me. But if I call out to God, he will answer every time. And he comes to our rescue. The goal of missions is God's presence. To be united and reconciled to him once and for all. And what's beautiful about that is it is absolutely congruent. It is congruent with our deepest longings. At our core, as human beings and image bearers, is the need and longing to be known and in communion. God himself is in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it is no wonder that when he makes creatures, specifically the ones with his image, that those creatures are at their core relational beings and need it and long for it 
and lose themselves if they don't have it. And so what's so beautiful about the goal of missions being the presence of God is that it actually is the fulfillment of all of our deepest longings to be known and to be seen by our maker. To be in communion with him where we share a home where he himself comes to us that wipes away every tear from our eyes. And every time we call, he will answer. The first connection between the mission of God and the presence of God is that the goal of the mission of God is fellowship. A relationship between God and his people, relatedness, being together, a sense of home. The second connection comes from the second text we had read, Matthew chapter 28. Turn back to Matthew 28, end of the chapter, end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28, as probably many of us know that have grown up in the church or been in the church for a long time, Matthew 28 has been a foundational text for the call to share the love of God to the ends of the earth. If you have any amount of care for the global advancement of God's love, then you know this text, probably even if you don't. <laughs> In this text, Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And so what is unique, what is the connection we see actually in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, what is the connection between the mission of God and the presence of God within the Great Commission? The simple connection is that the enabling power to fulfill the task is actually the presence of God. At the end, Jesus says to his disciples, after giving them the task to go and baptize and teach, teach people everything he taught them. How will they do this? How will his disciples go out and continue to baptize and teach other people the teachings of Jesus? How? How can you obey my commands? Jesus says, I will be with you. Isn't that powerful? Sometimes we get so busy trying to think of all the creative and new engaging ways we can think about reaching people, which we have to do that. We must do that. But we cannot forget the simple reality that the goal of missions is the presence of God to be with him. And what is so fascinating is the power through which we're going to able, be able to accomplish the goal of being in the presence of God is the presence of God. Isn't that incredible? It's so saturated throughout this call to share God's love that it is not only the goal, the presence of God is not only the goal, but it is also the enabling power to fulfill the goal. I will be with you. And what's interesting also, as we think about this dynamic of relatedness, 
What is the means that we, the really, really simple, basic means through which we go about baptizing and teaching people what Jesus taught? It's called discipleship. Discipleship is probably, within our church language, the most basic, simple language of relationships. <laughs> so think about this. Discipleship is literally just saying person to person, people to people, talking about Jesus. And the goal of missions is to be with God. The enabling power to fulfill the goal of being with God is the presence of God. And the task is like synonymous with that because it means that we relate to each other. The whole thing, the whole construct demands people-to-people relationships. The goal of missions is communion with God. The enabling power to fulfill the goal of missions is communion with God. And the means by which we will do this is communion with each other. You can't fulfill. It's, it's, it's so consistent with the way God works in the, to make our calling consistent with what he provides for us. So he says, as you have received mercy, give mercy. And so his way of being for us is to be with us. And our way to bring people to that relationship with God is to be with people, to be with them, to be with each other. That is why we have this simple and yet profound thing called church worship on once a week, every week, is we gather in discipleship, in relationship, in communion to represent and act out what we ultimately long for, a relationship with God. Our gatherings of worship on Sunday morning should feel like home because this is should be the picture of what's coming ultimately. So the first connection between mission of God and the presence of God is that the goal of missions is the presence of God. The second connection between the mission of God and the presence of God is that the enabling power to do discipleship is the presence of God. Last observation, last connection between the mission of God and the presence of God takes us back to our, the last text that was read for us, Genesis 17. So as we think about this dynamic, in Genesis 17, God, in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, we have this record of God establishing a covenant with Abraham. And one of the simple observations about this idea of a covenant construct, all it is doing is putting a construct around ways for us to relate to God. It is simply a construct to say for God to have a relationship with us, just like analogous to a marriage covenant. It is a construct that formalizes a relationship between two people. And so the covenant with Abraham is a construct to formalize God's being with Abraham. 
And we see in Genesis 17, how did this mission start? What were the very foundations of God's mission? We know the goal of missions is to be with God. We know the enabling power to fulfill the goal is going to be the presence of God. But how did this even get started in the first place? We see in, first in Genesis 12, when God made a, a covenant with Abraham, he said, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see the scope of this covenant that God made with Abraham was the ends of the earth. All the families of the earth is a scope. What's the foundation? Well, let's read Genesis 17 again, 1 through 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, what happens? The Lord appeared to Abraham. One of the times that I was kind of reading through Scripture and going through Genesis again, I marked out the phrase, he appeared, throughout the book of Genesis. It's a powerful dynamic to think about all the times that God arrives. God, the Lord, appeared to Abraham and said to him, so this is a relationship. You're present and you're talking. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Abram fell on his face. And so God spoke to him again. Abram is on his face. This is not casual. He's being seen in a vulnerable moment. And so God says to Abraham, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a, the father to a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And he goes on in verse 6, say, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come for you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and, your, and you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant and to be God to you. So once again, what is the foundation of this mission? It starts with God promising to be present. This is saturated throughout the entire mission of God. And I think it is such a unique way to think about when we go back and we say we've done missions for 100 years. We've been always thought about the people who don't know God. How can we share the love of God with them? The challenge in front of us, though, is 100 years later, it's so easy just to make it so mechanical and maybe even entrust it to a certain set of people. But in order for us, I think, to reconnect with our 100-year commitment to share the love of God is to understand how the presence of God pervades this enterprise of his mission. The foundation of it, the very foundation of the mission of God started with a covenant. God saying, I will be with you. And then as the story moves on, as God's mission moves on throughout the world in the story of Scripture, as it comes to a unique point of the mission of God in Jesus and after his life and death and resurrection, 
The enabling power to continue now the mission to the ends of the earth is his presence, and the goal is his presence. If we haven't got it by now, the person of Father, persons of the Father, Son, and Spirit is what this is all about. Lastly, I just want to have three implications for this connection between the mission of God and the presence of God. The first implication is that this invitation is for all nations. This mission of God is inclusive. The final goal of missions cannot be realized without people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. It's not just about you and God. It's also not just about your ethnic representation and God. It's about you and God and every tribe, language, people, and nation with God. And so we do a disservice to the kingdom of God and the goal of missions by whether directly or even indirectly excluding any people. Practically, we need to be very in tune if the whole goal of God's missions is his presence and he's radically inclusive about bringing every tribe, language, and tongue and nation into this communion, we have to be very in tune to the ways our culture, the culture of the country, the culture of our church, the culture of our local communities, may even indirectly exclude people. When our churches or our governments exclude people, we need to resist that and be inclusive. We want every tribe, language, people, and nation to be welcomed into their face being touched by God. The first implication is this is for all. The second implication is we need to make time for people. If the goal of missions is to be with God and the means through which we go about that enterprise of missions is discipleship, then we need to make time for people. We need to also represent the good news. The good news of the gospel is that God has time for you. The good news of the gospel is that God has time for us. Do we have time for people. The God of the Bible establishes and maintains life in communion. God is no supreme monad existing in eternal solitude. God is the covenantal God. God's will for life in relationship with and among the creatures is an expression of his faithfulness to God's own eternal life, which is essentially communal. The last implication, Jesus, divinity himself, 
who in the beginning with God made everything. Eternally existent. Dwelt among us. Assumed flesh and became like us in every respect. God so radically committed to a covenant relationship with each and every one of us so much that he sent his only son to eternally assume flesh. Jesus, to this day, is a resurrected Jewish man. Jesus endured the cross. Why does the writer of Hebrews say he did that? For the joy set before him. The joy is so connected to the relationship to be experienced in the goal of missions. It is not just Jesus did it for the joy of some abstract idea of doing something right. The joy was communion held out for God's beautiful creation. And so may we remember this. I was burdened this week to think about how to reconnect us to missions and not to just try to give you initially at the outfront some new idea about how we can go about reaching people, which we do need to do that, but to remember the simple goal of missions is the presence of God. The story of the mission of God is told from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to middle to end, is absolutely infused with God himself being for us. One of the most beautiful ways that we, as a people, celebrate God for us and God with us is in the Lord's table. The Lord's table is an opportunity for us to imagine one day sitting at a feast where our home and God's home are the same and just having our face touched and our tears wiped, we sit at the table at the feast with God to celebrate all he has done for us. And so this table, which we will celebrate in just a few minutes, is an opportunity to anticipate that moment. Let's pray.